I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. I want to share with you on the subject of faith. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Another translation, the Good News Bible says, because every child of God is able to defeat the world, and we win the victory over the world by means of our faith. Now notice that we win the victory over the world by means of our faith. The Bible has a great deal to say on the subject of faith. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most important subjects in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us that you cannot become a Christian without faith. For by grace are you saved, what? Through faith. You can't even become a Christian without faith. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible said, The just shall what? Live by faith. You cannot live the Christian life without faith. It's impossible. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, the Bible says that we are to prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. That means gifts of the Spirit, manifestations of the Holy Spirit will not operate without faith. Amen. First Timothy 6, 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. You cannot fight the good fight without faith. Hebrews chapter uh, 12 tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 and 8 talks about resisting Satan. Resist him steadfast in the faith. You cannot even resist Satan without faith. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So faith is an important subject in the Bible. And here we read, we overcome this world... By our faith. Our faith in God and our faith in God is synonymous with our faith in God's Word. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, a great man of God, uh, an Englishman who lived many years ago, made this statement. He said, I cannot understand God with my mind because God's not a mind. I cannot understand God with my physical body because God is not a physical body. I cannot understand God with my emotions because God is not an emotion. I can only understand God through His Word. God is everything His Word says He is. Hallelujah. And so we have to understand that faith in God is faith in His Word. Faith in His Word. Now we know what faith is. Faith is confidence. It is trust. It is reliance. Uh, in, Romans chapter, uh, in Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us that uh, Abraham believed God. He was, he was fully convinced that what God said, he was also able to do. He was fully convinced, fully convinced that what God said, God was able to perform. Hallelujah. Amen. So faith in God is faith in His Word, being fully convinced that what God says in His Word is true, number one, and number two, that He will do that in your life. Now, I want to talk about faith a little bit from a little bit different perspective this morning. We know uh, usually when we talk about faith, we talk about using our faith to receive something from God. 
And of course, the scriptures that we automatically turn to are found in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. We know those scriptures. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his what? But shall believe the things which he what? Shall come to pass, he, he will have what? Whatever they, whatever, whatsoever you say. Whatsoever you say. Not what you believe, what you say. Amen. Therefore, he said, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you believe, when you pray, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now we understand the subject of faith when it comes to believing or receiving from God. But I want to look at faith from a little bit different perspective this morning. And that is from the perspective of building a strong foundation in your life that will help you stand strong in this world that will help you overcome the tests, the trials, the challenges that all of us face in this world. And all of us do face them. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We all face challenges. Someone asked Brother Hagin years ago, pray for me so that I will not have any more problems with the devil. He said, you want me to pray you die and go to heaven? Oh, no, 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 no. He said, that's the only time you're never going to have a problem with the devil. As long as we live in this world, Jesus said there is persecution. James says there are opportunities for tests and trials. Isn't that right? We don't like that, but that is a part of this world system that we live in. You understand that there are three worlds or three kingdoms. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul talks about the name of Jesus, and he said that name is above every name, and at the mention of that name, every knee shall bow of things in where? Heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. So Paul reveals this principle of three worlds or three kingdoms. And there's a lot of confusion today in the body of Christ at large concerning God and God's sovereignty and how God works and operates in this world. I was raised in a particular denomination and I love my pastor and my church, but we were taught that God is in control of everything that happens in this world. Everything. He is absolutely sovereign. That means that He rules supreme. supreme. And that everything that happens in this world, in your life, is either directly God's will or indirectly allowed by God for His glory. That's what I was taught. But actually the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that there are three worlds. There is heaven. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I knew a man 14 years ago, whether in the body, out of the body, I do not know. He was caught up to the third heaven. And most uh, Bible scholars believe the third heaven refers to heaven itself, where God lives, the throne of God. The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth. The second heaven is space. The third heaven is where God actually lives. And so Paul said there is a place called heaven. We believe that. We can read about that in the book of Revelation. We know that Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said, I'm going away. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
He said, if it was not true, I wouldn't tell you that, but I'm going to come back and take you to that place. In my father's house, he said, there are many mansions, many dwelling places. So we believe there is a place called heaven, a real place where God lives. The second world that I want to draw your attention to is the things under the earth, and that is Satan's kingdom. We have God's kingdom, we have Satan's kingdom. Paul talks about that kingdom in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, the rulers, the rulers of the darkness of what? This world. The rulers of the darkness of this world and wicked spirits in heavenly places. Now, the Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. I add to that the prince of the power of the airwaves. That's my amplified version. He is called the deceiver. He is called the destroyer. He once was an archangel named Lucifer, but he fell. He is now called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works, the spirit that is now working in the children of disobedience. So we see Satan's kingdom, God's kingdom, the third kingdom is on this earth. That's man's kingdom. Now we're all familiar with man's kingdom. We're living in man's kingdom. When God created this earth, He created a garden. He placed Adam and Eve in that garden. He told them, you have dominion over everything that I created. You subdue it. So this world became under the control, this physical natural world that we live in, under the control of Adam and Eve. They had the right and the authority and the dominion to rule this natural world. Unfortunately, we know the story in Genesis chapter 3, and Adam and Eve sinned. As a result of their sin, they transferred their spiritual authority into the hands of Satan. They did not lose their natural authority to rule this earth. If you look around the world system today, if you look at every nation, men and women are ruling nations. Isn't that right? We have presidents, prime ministers, we have uh, dictators, we have monarchs. So we have men and women in positions of authority ruling nations. So this natural world is still controlled or ruled by mankind. Yet there are two spiritual worlds that we cannot see with our physical eyes, God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. Both of these kingdoms, God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, is attempting to influence man's kingdom. And so the only way that God can influence this world is through His kingdom, which is called the church. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1, we know that Jesus was raised up during the resurrection, seated in heavenly places far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion. So spiritually speaking, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, all authority, that's spiritual, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. In heaven and in earth. All spiritual authority, Jesus said, is now mine. And I'm going to delegate that authority and exercise that authority through my body called the church. And so the primary way that God moves in this world, 
is through his body called the church. Jesus is the head of, he has been given the head over all things to the church, Paul said, which is his body. Now notice, the fullness of him. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. The fullness of Jesus, that is his power, his life, his anointing is in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. So God is limited in what he can do in this natural world. He is limited by what the church does. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could pray and send the Holy Spirit to China and let him preach? You wouldn't need a visa. You wouldn't need airfare. You wouldn't need accommodations. Just send the Holy Spirit and let him preach. But we know it doesn't work that way, does it? We have to go. And that's why Jesus said, Mark 16, you go into all the world and preach. Amen. It'd be wonderful if we could just send the Holy Spirit to do all of these things. But the Holy Spirit lives where? In you. In you. Your body is called the temple, the dwelling place, the house of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And that's why Paul said, how beautiful are the feet of them who preach or proclaim the gospel. We have to carry the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We carry the life of God, the power of God in these physical bodies because the Holy Spirit lives in our spirit. Hallelujah. So you as members of the body of Christ in this local church are a part of the universal church or the body of Christ at large. And God can only operate through His body in this world. Now, occasionally God will do some things independently, but very, very infrequently does God move independently from His church or His body. And that's why you're here. So we come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. uh, It's like a filling station. We come, we get... We get refilled, recharged, and go out. Hallelujah. So there are three worlds, and God is only sovereign in His kingdom. That's what you have to understand. So when you look around the world today, you see everything that's taking place. The bad things, the evil things that are taking place are not the result of God initiating them or God's will in creating them. It is because... There's an enemy called Satan or Lucifer who is controlling this world system. Notice the rulers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Who is that? That's Satan and his organization. When Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in Mark 4, Matthew 4, or Luke 4, Matthew 4, when he took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms, one translation says, all the nations of the world. Satan said, all this authority was given unto me. When was that authority given unto him? In the Garden of Eden. Adam lost his spiritual authority, not his natural authority. His spiritual authority, Jesus regained that spiritual authority. That's why he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on the earth. All spiritual authority. So when Satan gained that spiritual authority. He took Jesus on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms or nations of the world, said, all this authority is mine. 
And He's still ruling the world, the unsaved world. You understand? He's still here. He's still called the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world lies in wickedness. He's still ruling. I, you say, I thought Jesus came and defeated Him. Yes, He did. But defeat or destroy does not mean annihilate, remove Him so He does not exist anymore. Defeat or destroy Him means to take away from Satan His spiritual authority that He held over people. Once you are translated out of the kingdom of darkness at the new birth into the kingdom of God, Satan has no legal right to exercise any spiritual authority over you. That means you've been redeemed. Hallelujah. Redeemed from the curse of the law. Spiritual death from sickness and disease and from poverty, from everything that Satan brings into this world. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus has redeemed you, purchased you, brought you out. And Jesus has given to you His name that's above every name. He's given to you His Word. He's given you the Holy Spirit. That's why our faith is more than enough to overcome the world that we live in. Hallelujah. So we're not a church in hiding. No, we're not a church afraid. No, we're a glorious church, a triumphant church. Yes, Satan is still in this world. Yes, he's working. And he will continue to work until Jesus physically comes back to this planet and sets up his kingdom. And he will. He'll rule and reign. And the great news is, right now you're being trained to rule and reign with him. You're being trained for a government position in his kingdom. His government. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Satan will be bound for a thousand years during that time. But right now, Satan is still operating in this world. He has a right until Adam's lease expires. Matthew chapter 8, I believe, verse 25, when Jesus was casting out a demon, the demon said, Jesus, we know who you are. You are the Son of God. Have you come here to, to torment us before the time? Even the devil knows who Jesus is. And that demon thought that Jesus had come too early. They knew, for some reason, they knew Jesus, God was going to come to this earth. They had some knowledge. And that demon thought Jesus had come too early. Wait a minute, it's not time. It's not time. But they didn't realize the plan of God, and that was to establish a spiritual kingdom first that would open the door, prepare the way for God's kingdom literally to come down on this earth. Hallelujah. So right now we're occupying. Amen? We're occupying. And we've been given everything we need to occupy to do the work of the gospel. Hallelujah. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the Bible said, Seek ye first. What? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then what will happen? What things? Everything Jesus talked about, right? In the preceding verses. He talked about houses. He talked about clothing. He talked about food, provision, right? 
So Jesus said, seek ye first, first, everything you want. No? No, here's how the kingdom of God operates. And when you understand this principle, everything seems to fall in line. That is, God's first, others are second, and self is last. See, that's opposite to the way the world thinks. It's you first. Right? Others may be second, and God, well, He gets in there somewhere. No, God's kingdom operates with this principle. God first, others second, and self last. And when you keep those priorities right, everything in God's Word begins to work. Your faith begins to produce everything that the Word of God says. And so we need to understand that God's kingdom is the priority. We are here for God's kingdom. We're not here to build our kingdom and then ask God to come into it and bless our kingdom. No, we're here to build His kingdom. Amen. Amen. And when you put that first, everything seems to work automatically. Everything works much easier when we make God's kingdom a priority. The unfortunate thing is we all of us have been raised in this world system. We've been educated. Our minds have been educated and trained with this world system or the world's way of thinking. And so we have to change that. And we have to get God's perspective on everything. And that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, or do not let the world around you, one translation says, squeeze you into its mold. That's easy. And so he said, be renewed or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that interesting? In Paul's writing to born-again, spirit-filled believers, be transformed. He did not say be transformed by the new birth. He did not say be transformed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's writing to born-again, spirit-filled believers. No, the new birth makes you a new creature, a new creation, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit gives you additional power from God. Hallelujah. And opens the door to the supernatural element. But notice he said, be transformed. That word is the Greek word that we know in the English word metamorphosis. Be radically changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So even though we're born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to change this world's way of thinking to a certain degree if we're going to experience what God wants us to experience in His kingdom. Jesus said it this way to the Pharisees. You cannot put new wine in old wineskins. You cannot. It'll break. So you have to put new wine in renewed wineskins. And so many, many times that's where we are in our thinking process. We have a difficult time believing what God says in His Word because of the way we think, the way we've been trained. What you think determines what you believe. And what you believe will control your words, your actions, and your words and actions will determine what you have in life and what you'll become in life. So if we want to change what we have in life, what we become in life, we have to change our thinking. 
change our thinking. You know, we have a great illustration of that in, uh, uh, in the book of Acts when Peter, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter was invited to Cornelius' house, and you know the story, Peter, before that happened, he was on the housetop praying, and he had a vision, and he saw all these unclean animals. To the Jews, they're clean and unclean animals, what they could eat, what they were forbidden to eat. He saw all of these unclean animals, and he heard a voice, and the voice said, Arise, slay, and eat. That happened three times. Every time he heard the voice, Peter said, Not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has touched these lips. I'm a good Jewish boy. So while he was thinking on the vision, there was a knock on the door. And there were two men that were sent by Cornelius, and they were sent to bring Peter. Cornelius was an unbeliever, but he was seeking and searching after God. He wanted more of God, and he did many things for God. And so an angel appeared to him and said, You go and uh, invite a man by the name of Peter to come to your house who will tell you words. Isn't that interesting? An angel could not preach the gospel. A man had to preach. A woman had to preach the gospel. You have to preach. We have to preach the gospel. He'll tell you words whereby you and your house will be saved. So here comes Peter. And, uh, you know, Peter's a good Jewish boy. He comes to the house. The first thing Peter said, you know how unlawful it is for a Jew to come and have, you know, hot dogs, hamburgers with a Gentile. He wouldn't have a hot dog. Right? You know how unlawful it is for a Jew to keep company or to fellowship or to come into a Gentile's house. Wait a minute. Wait a minute now. This is Acts chapter 10, right? Acts chapter 10. It's about 10 years after the day of Pentecost. What law said it was wrong for a Jew to go into a Gentile's house? Huh? It was a part of the Mosaic law, the old law, laws that the Jews kept, the religious laws. Now, this is 10 years after the day of Pentecost, 10 years after Jesus being raised from the dead, Jesus appearing to His disciples. They were born again on the day of Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And just prior to that, Acts chapter 1, Jesus was speaking to all the disciples, including Peter. And He said, you're going to be a witness unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the Gentiles. Didn't Jesus say that? Ten years later, here's Peter. You know how unlawful it is for a Jew to keep company or to go into a Gentile's house. Ten years. Now, this is Peter. This is one of the big three, Peter, James, and John. Right? One of the big apostles, Peter. This is not an insignificant person. This is Peter. Ten years after the new birth, 10 years after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and Peter is saying, you know how unlawful it is for me to come to a Gentile's house. But today, he said, God has shown me. Aren't you glad Peter had revelation? Aren't you glad you can get revelation? Even 10 years after you're born again, 10 years 
after you're filled with the Holy Ghost, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. He said, but today God has shown me what he calls clean, no man should call unclean. Now, if Peter had that issue, it took him 10 years to get the revelation of that. Don't feel bad if it takes a little while to get some revelation. It's okay. And sometimes, you know, we want people, we try to get them to understand and to believe. And uh, we just have to be patient sometimes with people. It's, it's a process of changing our thinking. Many times what we think, they're deep-seated patterns of thinking. And they have to be changed. And when they're changed, when our thinking is changed, then God can begin to reveal truth that will change not only our thinking, but our believing and what we're saying and what we're doing that will change what you have and what you become in life. You know, I heard Brother Hagin say this years ago, never talk about the lack of money. It'll stop it from coming in. Never talk about the lack of money. It'll stop it from coming in. You know, there are spiritual laws in the Bible, just like we have uh, natural physical laws, just like we have laws of physics. And if you study laws of physics when you're in high school or college, you study Newton's laws of motion and uh, other laws of physics. A body at rest stays at rest. That's why I have gained weight. That's a law of Newton, right? Usually. And so you have to understand there are physical laws. There are spiritual laws. There's the law of sowing and reaping, right? There's the law of love, right? There is in Romans chapter 8 too, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. You know about that law? You should know about that law. We need to know about that law right now. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free and you from the law of sin and death. There is a law of sin and death. It's a spiritual law. There's the law of the spirit of life that counters that law. Are you listening to me? The law of sin and death is also the law of sickness and disease. So Romans 8, 2 counters that law. Come on now. There are many different spiritual laws in the Bible. And sometimes people set laws in motion. And they're the only ones that can undo that law. Now, if you were on the top of this building and you jumped off, there's a law, a physical law called gravity, right? And that's why we're not floating around here this morning in this auditorium, aren't you glad? It's kind of floating all over the place. Gravity. If you jump off the top of this building, gravity, that law will go into action. Halfway down, you're not going to be able to stop that law or reverse that law. You cannot say, well, I, I don't want to fall anymore. I want to go back up. You're not able to do that. And sometimes with spiritual laws, people set laws in motion. How do you set a law in motion? By what you say. By what you say. Jesus said, you'll have what you say. You'll have what you say. 
that you believe in your heart. But if you say it long enough, you're going to believe it in your heart. You know, people say, well, my grandfather had heart disease. My father had heart disease, and I'll probably have heart disease. Well, naturally, biologically, maybe there's truth to that genetically, but you don't have to have heart disease. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. You don't have to have heart disease. Are you listening to me? See, there are natural laws, spiritual laws. Spiritual laws are operating. A spiritual law operated when you became a believer. You will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There is no salvation without confession, without an acknowledgement. Amen. So we have to be aware of this, that there are natural laws, there are spiritual laws. There is the law of faith. The law of faith. And that law, Jesus talked about that law in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. What you believe in your heart, what you say with your mouth, you'll have whatsoever you saith. He illustrated that law by walking past a fig tree. You remember the story? They walked past a fig tree, and the fig tree had leaves. And so Jesus went to search to see if there were figs on that tree, because during that time there are trees that had leaves that had figs, or, and some did not have figs. And so he was looking to see he had no figs. And so Jesus said, no man will eat figs from you forever. And the disciples heard him. Now, people get, you know, sidetracked on that. Why did Jesus curse that poor fig tree? That poor fig tree never hurt anybody. That's not the point. The point is Jesus is illustrating to his disciple. He can create another fig tree. Don't worry about the fig tree. He's illustrating how faith in God works. And so passing by the next day, Peter said, wait a minute. Look at that tree. It's withered up. It's dried up from the roots. I can see it now. Yesterday you spoke words to it. Today I see the effect of your words. So Jesus said in verse 22, have faith in God. Actually, the, uh, the literal version is have the faith of God. This is how the faith of God works. Whosoever, aren't you glad? Whosoever, not just the person who's educated, the person who's gone to four years of seminary, whosoever. As a matter of fact, Brother Hagin tells this story. He was in a meeting, and uh, he said at the beginning of every meeting, usually I'd stay in a church three weeks, sometimes four, sometimes five, six, seven, eight, one time nine weeks, two services a day that took Saturday off. Think about that. Three weeks, twice a day. So at the beginning of the meeting, I would bring people, have people come to the front of the altar, and I want everyone to say out loud what you expect to receive. See, what is he doing? He's getting them to say, to acknowledge 
what they are expecting. He's trying to get them to begin operating in faith because without faith, you're not going to receive anything. James chapter 1 said, if you lack wisdom, ask what? Of God. And he gives to every man liberally. He does not withhold, but let him ask how? That means prayer doesn't work without faith. Let him ask in faith. He started by asking for wisdom, but then he concluded by asking for anything. Let him ask in faith. So he noticed a young man standing in the crowd. And so a few days later, he was asking for testimonies. And this young man raised his hand. And so he called him up and the young man said, uh, I was diagnosed with an incurable disease. As a matter of fact, he was about 19, 20 years old. Incurable. The doctor said I had to die. I wouldn't live. And uh, I was in the crowd. I came up with a group of people and I said, I expect to be healed. I'm going to live and not die. He said, you know, I knew something happened in my body. So I went to the doctors and the doctors said, you know, uh, something happened to you. Uh, I don't know what happened to you, but whatever happened to you, there's no longer a terminal issue. And the young man said, I want to get, and he's testifying. Then he said, I want to get saved. The young man wasn't even saved. Jesus said, whosoever. Didn't he? The young man wasn't even saved. Whosoever shall say, shall say, whosoever shall say, and not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Believe what? Those things which he saith, those things which he saith, shall come to pass. He shall have what? Not what he believes. He'll have what he says. He'll have what he says. A lot of people believe things, but what they're saying is inconsistent with God's Word. Amen. You know, we have a lot of fearful people today in the world. I understand why. But, you know, it's interesting that you can mention names of certain sicknesses or diseases and it does not create a lot of fear. But when you name certain particular diseases, it creates a lot of fear. But in Proverbs chapter 4, you know the verses 20 through 22, Jesus said, attend to my words. Let me come back to uh, Mark eleven twenty three. 23. He said, whosoever shall say... And not doubt in his heart, but shall believe the things which he saith shall come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Well, what you say are words. Right? They're words. So in Proverbs chapter 4, he said, My son, attend to my words. My words. God's words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Well, sayings are words. Let them, those words, not depart from before your eyes. And it's interesting the reason he said that is because the, the physiological makeup of our physical body 
everything that we perceive through the five physical senses comes through the front, frontal lobe of our brain. Everything. Goes right from the frontal lobe right to the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus creates a chemical cascade in your body. Everything happens like that. Four billion times a second, your brain does actions in your body. Four billion times a second. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It doesn't rest. The devil knows that. So, you know, your body cannot tell the difference between reality and a dream. You know that? You'll get the same physiological or bio biological responses in your body from a dream that you will get from reality. How many of you ever had a dream? You wake up, <laughs> you like something's chasing you in the dream, right? You wake up, oh, oh, it's a dream. Your body goes through the same responses. And the devil knows that. Huh? The devil understands. That's why we cast down imaginations. Because your body can't tell the difference between a dream and imagination and reality. It'll respond the same way. Your body was designed that way. Everything comes through the frontal lobe, hypothalamus, chemical cascade. That's the way it works. That's the importance of stopping thoughts that are inconsistent with the Word of God. Fear will create certain responses in your body, your physical body. Strife will. It'll create a reaction. Everything goes through the frontal lobe, hypothalamus, chemical cascade. That's the way this physical body's designed. Thank God the Word of God has given us an answer. Hallelujah. We are to allow our spirits through our renewed minds to control these physical bodies. We are to cast down imaginations and every high thing or thought that is inconsistent with God's Word. So when fear comes, what do we do? We resist it, right? You know, James 5, 7 says, resist the devil, 4, 7. Resist Satan and he will flee from you. How do you resist him? You resist anything that comes from him. Fear is from Satan. When fear comes, you have to resist it. How do you resist it? The same way Jesus resisted Satan. The same way he resisted in, in uh, Matthew 4, Luke 4. He said, he said words. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Three times he quoted verses from Deuteronomy. And then the devil leaveth him. He did not resist Satan with thoughts. You cannot resist Satan with thoughts. You cannot win the battle with thoughts. He'll defeat you every time. He's better than you when it comes to thoughts. He'll put thoughts, imaginations, all kinds of pictures in your mind. Because he knows if that, if that dominates and controls your thinking, it's going to affect you not only in your mind but your physical body. Because your body cannot tell the difference between reality and just an imagination or a dream. He knows that. He knows that. That's why it's so important. Mind renewal is so important. 
Spiritual growth and development is so important. And spiritual growth and development never comes apart from God's Word. Never. Thank God for praise and worship. I love it, but that'll never make you grow spiritually. Thank God for prayer. And I pray a lot, but that'll never make you grow spiritually. Only the Word of God is spiritual food for the spiritual man. That's why Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. That's why I like to give you, and I quoted a lot of scripture, because, you know, we don't have time to turn to every one of them, but I want to give you the word of God, the scripture. The word of God produces faith. It changes us. Not not just my stories about life, but the word of God changes us. It is the word. The entrance of God's word that brings life. So, my son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words, not depart from your eyes. What are you looking at? Because you're going to have a biological response. You're going to have a response. You listen to everything on the news today. Well, that makes you happy. Wow, you feel like singing, this is the day the Lord hath made. There's really nothing, you know, I miss Paul Harvey. Remember Paul Harvey? Some of you know who I'm talking about. I miss Paul Harvey. He always had something positive to say. So we have a lot of negativity in the world because it is controlled by the prince of the power of the air. And he's anti-God. He's anti-faith. Amen. And so we have to counter all that with God's Word. So do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them, my words, in your heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all your flesh. God's Word is medicine. And do you know that the word pray is not mentioned in those verses? You know that? The word pray is not mentioned in Mark eleven twenty. It is in 24, but not in 23. Faith works by praying or by saying. But you still have to say it even if you pray it, right? Words come out of your mouth. You'll have what you say. You'll have what you say. Fear comes, you resist it. How do you do it? Open your mouth and you say, in Jesus' name, fear, leave me. I command you to leave me. The Word of God says... The Word of God says, greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. The Word of God says, if God be for me, who can be against me? The Word of God says, I'm more than a conqueror in this life through Him that loved me. The Word of God says, I have authority over Satan. And in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we live in this world, yes. And we can be affected by the environment that we live in, but God has given us a way to keep us protected, to keep us healthy and healed and whole and delivered. And Psalm 23 is for us today. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because He's with me. His rod, His staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's not heaven. There's no enemies in heaven. In the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. Hallelujah. 
My cup runs over. There's not just a little in the bottom. If you look way down in there, you can see it. No, it runs over. I have more than enough so I can bless others. Hallelujah. He's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. I do not lack for anything. I, don't, I do not lack for wisdom, for revelation, for knowledge, for direction, for wisdom, for health, for healing, for anything. I do not lack. He's my shepherd and he's your shepherd. Amen.